Shall we look to God in prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for this opportunity and this privilege we have to come and worship Thee this morning through Thy Word and through our thoughts. And Father, we ask this morning as we look into the topic of sin that we might understand how we truly are, and Father, that we might by Thy grace live above that sin, that sin nature that we have in us. We ask thy grace in all things that Christ might be glorified. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 3. To the ninth verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. I have been assigned with the topic this morning of sin, and I would first like to say that I consider it a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you people this morning, and the topic which I have been assigned is a very broad topic. It is one which we could spend the next 30 or 40 mornings preaching on and certainly would not exhaust the subject. And also I'd like to say that this is a topic that certainly does need uh, to be expounded and to be comprehended for we live in a day when sin is made very light of. And so as we consider this this morning, we find in verse 9 the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans. Now, if you would keep your finger there and turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. And we find here in Genesis chapter 1 the record of God's uh, creation. We find on the sixth day that he created man. We find that he created man in his own image and in his own likeness. Now, the image of God, as we speak of this, we find that God, as we look through the scriptures, God is a trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's three, yet one. One God in three persons. And God has created man in that image. He has created man body, soul, and spirit. So we find man created in the image of God. But more so than this, uh, not just the fact that man is created after the image of God as being a trinity, we find also another uh, aspect of the image of God is that God is an authoritative being, and God is a God of sovereignty, and he ruleth over all. The scripture says that his kingdom ruleth over all. And we find God has created man in that image also, in that God desires man to reflect that authority. God desires man uh, to rule. We find in verse 28, he says to them, he says to uh, multiply, to replenish the earth, and to subdue it, or bring it into subjection, and have dominion over his creation, that is to say, to rule over uh, that creation. So we find that part of the image of God is that God desires man to reflect his authority. And so we see man uh, created to rule. And we find that man uh, was above his environment. But now, if you'd go back to Romans chapter 3, In verse 9, the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 9 that they are all under sin, that both Jew and Gentile are under sin. And so we see a contrast from the way God uh, desired man to be and the way man is today. We find instead of man having dominion, Uh, Man is dominated uh, by something. He is dominated by sin. He's under sin. Now the question comes, what happened? Why is man today uh, in the place where he is under sin instead of being uh, above sin and above his environment? Well, first of all, as we consider this, We want to consider that word sin. We want to define the word. First of all, according to uh, Charles Baker in his book, A Dispensational Theology, we find that sin uh, has a threefold character. First of all, sin is an act. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says sin is a transgression of God's law. We find also sin is a state. It's a state in which every one of us are in. And that state is 
the absence of righteousness or in a state of sinfulness or full of sin. We find also that sin is a nature, and that nature is enmity toward God. So we see the threefold character of sin. And as we think back, as we consider uh, Adam, as he was created uh, in the image of God, and as he was uh, commanded by God to obey, we find that man, that Adam disobeys, and man uh, transgressed the commandment of God. So we find, firstly, uh, the act of sin. Next, we see, uh, as a result of this act of sin, we find uh, sinfulness comes upon man. We see the state uh, in which he is in. We find that God told Adam, uh, to, as he was in the garden, that he was to guard that garden and to tend that garden. We find in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. He was to guard that garden from anyone or anything uh, which would be contrary uh, to what he had said. And we find uh, Adam, as he rebelled against God, that he did not guard that garden, but we find uh, someone coming in and speaking to him, and we find man uh, listening to the voice of that one. And we find that one, of course, is Satan, the originator of all sin. He is the one uh, who is, it is said that in all his ways he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. And so it is Satan who is the one who originates sin and not God. And we find that Satan comes to the garden and he speaks to them and he speaks uh, very subtly to them. We could liken Satan unto an hypnotist as a hypnotist as he waves that uh, little watch in front of your eyes, he, as you look at that, you must be willing uh, to, to look at that. And we find that as you watch that, as you listen to his words, we find that you become under his spell and you become uh, under the power of that hypnotist. And we find just the same as Satan, as he spoke to Adam and Eve, we find that they listened to him, and they believed him, and they become they became under uh, the spell of him, if we could say it in that manner. And that spell that was put upon them was sin. And we find that man uh, yielded up his authority to Satan. We find man was uh, in a position uh, of rulership and to have dominion over this earth. And we find that man yielded up that authority to Satan when he rebelled against God. And now we find we are under the control of Satan and under the control of his power, and that power uh, is sin. We are now a servant to sin. We now uh, obey uh, that power of sin and Satan being the one in charge of that. Now, if we would look then at our scriptures, <clears throat> we find, as he says here, that they are all under sin in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. We find that we are not only under the penalty of sin, 
which is death, but we are also under the power of sin. And that goes for both Jew and Gentile alike, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so as we consider this topic this morning of sin, we want to look at, beginning with verse 10, we find the divine estimate of sin. That is to say, what God uh, says concerning sin and those that are under sin. As he says here, they are all under sin. We want to look at, firstly, the divine estimate of sin. What God thinks about uh, those who are under sin. We find man has his opinions. Man has his estimate of those who are uh, under sin. But we want to know what God says about those that are under sin. He says in verse 10, as it is written, he's quoting here uh, from the Old Testament, from many of the Psalms, and he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We find that uh, God says that there is not one person righteous. There is not one who has an upright moral character before God. There is no one uh, who obeys the law of God. He says there is not one. And most people, most of mankind, uh, may agree with that. But, of course, there are those uh, who would not agree with that, who do believe they are righteous, or at least they're working at it. And so we find, uh, he says here, there is, but there is not one who is righteous. In verse 11, we, we find it says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh, after God. So we see here in verses 10 through 12 the state of man. We see uh, his state as being uh, in a sinful state. We see here he says there is none that understandeth. There is not one uh, that understands the things of God. Now he's speaking here of the uh, natural man, the carnal man, the one uh, who has not been regenerated. He says here Uh, that there is not one that understandeth. We find in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it says that uh, the understanding of the Gentiles has been darkened, and they are uh, blinded, being alienated from the life of God. And we find this is true with everyone who is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that there is none that seeketh after God, Now, we find, as we think of man's estimate, we find that man uh, would disagree with this. Man would be very upset with this thought, the fact that there is none that understandeth, or that there is none that seeketh after God. But notice what it says. It says, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. There's not one person that seeks after God in that unregenerated state. And so we find that if you were seeking God, uh, it was therefore a result of God seeking you first. We come to verse 12 then. He says, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. 
There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now he says here that uh, everyone has gone out of the way. They've left the path uh, of righteousness. They've gone, everyone, to his own way, as Isaiah says. He says that they are all together become unprofitable, that we are not only uh, in our natural state unprofitable to God, but we're unprofitable to each other. And he concludes it by saying, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this certainly goes against the grain of the old nature, the fact that there is none that doeth good. There's not one person uh, that does good in the sight of God, in his natural state. We find that man may do things good in the sight of man. Uh, He may uh, do goodwill to his neighbor and so, But in the sight of God, uh, we find he says there's no one that doeth good. No, not one. Now in verses 13 through 18, uh, he talks about the nature of sin. Those actions which outflow from that state of sinfulness. He says their throat is an open open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. We see here the uh, very nature of man being exposed. Uh, We find, he says, that their throat is an open sepulcher. The word there is is grave. It's, It's like an open grave with a dead body in it. And the fumes and the odor of that dead body is coming up out of that grave. And he says that that uh, is what like, what man is like. What He, he uses uh, the symbolism of, of the throat here. And just as that uh, grave, the odor comes from what's within that grave and proceeds out, so uh, too that which, was, that which is in man, uh, that depraved nature, we find that that is what uh, proceeds out of man and, and the stench that comes from within. He says, with their tongues they have used deceit. We find uh, that old nature, uh, the unregenerated man, is full of lies and deceit. It says the poison of asps is under their lips. The fact that man uh, is a slanderous person. He's a backbiter in his old nature. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. And certainly, if you work around unbelievers, you can see that manifest, that their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness as they curse the Lord God. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, murder. We find Uh, a part of man's very nature. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The the path in which uh, they are going is nothing but destruction and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. The scripture says there is no peace, saith my God unto the wicked. And you can count on that. And in verse 18, he concludes it by saying, There is no fear of God before their eyes. We find that man uh, does not have 
godly fear. Man does not uh, have the, the awesomeness for God which God desires him to have. And that, that fear which is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge, man in his natural state does not have. And so we see a little bit of what God says uh, concerning those that are under sin. We find nothing uh, but a totally depraved man. And so <clears throat> we see that in contrast to what a man has to say about man. Nextly, we want to look <clears throat> at the divine sentence upon those that are under sin. We have seen the divine estimate, the fact that man is totally depraved. Now we want to look at the divine estimate, or pardon me, the divine sentence toward those that are under sin. In verse 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. That this is the uh, sentence of God upon those that are under sin, that they firstly are guilty before God. He says here that all the world uh, may become guilty before God. And we find that this is uh, God's sentence upon man. Man may uh, have his uh, estimate of this. In fact, we find in the philosophies and in the uh, psychiatrists of man, we find that uh, you are not guilty. Uh, you're the innocent victim. You are the one uh, who uh, were, were under certain circumstances and you couldn't help it. Or we find that uh, because your grandmother did something to you, uh, that's why you are the way you are. And so we find man excuses man, uh, but God points the finger of guilt and the sentence of condemnation uh, upon the whole world. As he says here, that all the world may become guilty before God. But we find also that not only has God pronounced this sentence uh, upon those who are under sin, that sentence of guilt is to be acknowledged. And we find that he used uh, the instrumentality of the law to bring that acknowledgement of sin. As he says here, that we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We find that law was instituted uh, to man so that he would acknowledge his sin, so that he would see the fact that he is a sinner, that he's condemned, and that he needs a Savior. And we find that law was given to Israel back in Exodus chapter 19. God gave them that law. And we find uh, that though that law was given to Israel, we find the whole world comes under the condemnation of that law. For if Israel, uh, who had the law of God, who, who was on a special covenant relationship with God, if they broke that law and they were guilty, certainly the whole world uh, who was, had turned their back upon God, certainly they would fall under that condemnation. And we find that Paul calls it uh, the ministration of condemnation, that that's what the law was given for, so that sin 
uh, may, might be acknowledged. For we find in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that is why uh, God has given that law, so that man would acknowledge the divine sentence God has already put on man. And lastly, we find not only do we see the divine estimate of those under sin, not only do we see the divine sentence of those under sin, lastly, we see divine satisfaction for sin. We find in verses 21 uh, through 26, and we're not going to read uh, the verses for we are short on time. I would just like to bring out verse uh, 25, where he says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. We find that God, though he has uh, shown the the estimate of man, though he has sentenced man uh, to condemnation, showing him that he is guilty, we find also uh, there is divine satisfaction that God has been satisfied on behalf of sin. That not only has God uh, pronounced that sentence, but God has been satisfied uh, on behalf of the sinner. He says in verse 25, whom God has set forth, to be a propitiation or the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. We find that God has set forth Jesus Christ to be the propitiation or the satisfaction uh, through faith in his blood. It was through the, the blood of Christ that God was satisfied. We find that... <clears throat> As Christ died on that cross, that God said in Isaiah 53 that he would see of the travail of his soul and he would be satisfied. And we find that as he died there, uh, Romans 3.25 says that he died there for a propitiation for the remission of sins that are past. That is, those uh, of the past time, those of the past economy, uh, those ones in which those priests would come and offer sacrifices uh, upon the altar. And as the high priest would go in once a year and he would uh, take the blood and put it upon the mercy seat, we find that uh, those sacrifices could never take away sins. They covered sins, but they could never take away sins. But we find that Christ uh, was set forth to be the propitiation, the satisfaction uh, toward God for those sins of those past of the past administration. Now, if you would please turn quickly with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 10 as we close. Hebrews chapter 10. God will save you. And also we find concerning the believer uh, that we no longer have to be uh, living under that sin, as he says, that all are under sin, that God, uh, through Christ, has made it possible that we can live above sin in our lives. We find in Romans 6 that he says that we were the servants of sin, but being made free from that, uh, we are now the servants of righteousness. And he says, therefore, to yield uh, yourselves, yield your members as servants uh, unto God. And so 
to us today as the believer, he says to us that we can live above the power of sin. And may we this day uh, take this to heart, and may we by his grace lay hold of what he has promised. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word to us. We thank thee, Father, that we have been delivered. It says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We see here uh, how that those uh, priests, every day as they would stand and as they would minister and offer their sacrifices, uh, he says that these could never take away sin, that the blood of bulls and goats uh, could never take away sin, and how they would have to keep coming back and keep re-offering and re-offering these sacrifices. We find in contrast to that, that this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God that this man offered one sacrifice, and that being himself, as a lamb without spot, he offered himself to God. And we find as he did that, that God was satisfied, that Christ completed the work of redemption on that cross by offering himself up. And we find that uh, as he did that, and as God was satisfied, he sat down on the right hand of God. And so as we consider this topic of sin this morning, <clears throat> I trust that we can see that the sin question has been settled concerning the unbeliever. We find uh, that Christ is that satisfaction for God. If there would be anyone here this morning uh, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, we find the scriptures tell us that God is satisfied and that Christ has died and shed his blood. God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you would just believe that and trust that, God will save you. And also we find concerning the believer uh, that we no longer have to be uh, living under that sin, as he says, that all are under sin, that God, uh, through Christ, has made it possible that we can live above sin in our lives. We find in Romans 6 that he says that we were the servants of sin, but being made free from that, uh, we are now the servants of righteousness. And he says, therefore, to yield uh, yourselves, yield your members as servants uh, unto God. And so to us today as the believer, he says to us that we can live above the power of sin. And may we this day uh, take this to heart, and may we by his grace lay hold of what he has promised. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy word to us. We thank Thee, Father, that we have been delivered from the power of sin. We thank Thee, Father, that Christ has died for the ungodly. We thank Thee that those who put their faith and their confidence in Him are declared righteous in Thy sight. Bless these words to our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.